It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello, welcome to True Penny Show. My name is James True Penny. This is my show. And this is a bit of a surprise show because we know we're doing one show. We may do two shows. So I'm doing the intro to cover all bases. But the first part of the show, even maybe the whole show, uh, we are going to look at the Noah show that happened on New Year's Day, entitled Noah, The New Year. <laughs> Not the most imaginative title, however, did the job, which featured the main event of Great Muta versus Shinsuke Nakamura at Budokan Hall and a semi-final of Keno versus Kiyomiya for the Great Honor Crown Championship and the return Maru Ken, Kenta and Marufuji, Amichi Marufuji. So to join me for this auspicious occasion of many things happening that were quite cool, please welcome Mr. John Dinsdale. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. It's always fun to talk about Noah. And yeah, great move to send off. Quite the, quite the important show. It's, it's the quite the long thing. <laughs> I think we're in month six now of the send off, aren't we? Yeah, there's, there's like one last event and then they're on the 22nd. Is it 22nd yes. 24th? Yeah, tagging with Sting and Darby Allen. Um, against some other people. <laughs> I can't remember who. Again, it's just like, look at all these companies Muta has brought together. <laughs> <laughs> we I discussed this the other day on... Um, um, I was talking to... Uh, where was we? Um, I was on the show with... Um, the Rewind show where we were discussing the Brawl for All and we'd, um, I mentioned this the other day as well like the only person that actually benefited from the Brawl for All was in fact Gage Muto because he managed to get Dr. Death Steve Williams and Bart um, Gunn at a knockdown price in 2001 because <laughs> they couldn't find work anywhere else and made money out of the feud that the WWE wouldn't touch so there you go Gage Muto, greatest politician in pro wrestling history In my personal opinion. Um, and old roads lead to Muta. They do indeed. Let us open the show with Yatsuyuki Yano defeating Teishi Ozawa. Four minutes and one seconds. Yano, the slightly senior of these two young boys. It's all right, this. Went along that nice feral clip. Got everybody interested. It was pretty cool. What did you think of this? Yeah, as you said, it's just a quick sort of young boys match that does exactly what you want. It's sort of frantic, fast and will get you interested. And the silent treatment has something crashed. Um, no, I muted my microphone to cough. And then, um, let me do that now. Because <coughs> I'm going to try to do this. I muted my microphone to cough and then it didn't mute. Then it didn't mute. And then I turned it off again by accident. Let's just go again. Yasuki Yano has done quite well as of late with uh, his matches because he was uh, tagging up with Stinger last time we saw him and they won. So, yeah, he's doing all right, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's got quite the upside. And if he keeps up, like, the road they seem to have him on with all these performances and the occasional reward, he'll probably be, like, a mainstay for the foreseeable future. Indeed. Let's just move on then to the next matchup, which featured... Daiki Inaba 
Masakitamiya and Yoshiaki Inora going up against the Funky Express of Akitisha of Sato, Mohamed Yone, and um, the erstwhile Fremini, Shui Taniguchi, whose major issue this year has been the fact that he was the leader of the Funky Express, then left the Funky Express, and now cannot beat the Funky Express, and has started tagging with them again because he can't beat them. King Tani's existential crisis. Discuss. Tani's new clothes. They don't like it. <laughs> um, it's hard not to love a match with the Funky Express in. Like, it's it's just dad violence. What's wrong with dad violence? No, nothing wrong with dad violence. Dad violence is what makes the world go around in Japanese wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this was one of those matches where you could tell it was just kind of thrown together, but at the same time, it was just rather fun. Like, everyone knew it was a kind of low-stakes match, so they just went out and had a laugh and beat the shit out of each other whilst doing it. Pretty much, yeah, really. That's what it boils down to. Not a lot else here going on with this particular match. Um, but yeah, it was all right. Should we move on to the next one? Because there's not an awful lot to say, is there really? <laughs> it's like, it was fun. Again, I don't I don't trust anyone that doesn't enjoy the Funky Express. No, I completely agree with signing you. Note. <laughs> it does, what does worry me is Kitamiya, 18 months ago, was main eventing with Nakajima. And now in is in a is in a six month tag. I know it's nowhere. It doesn't quite work the same as other promotions do. Well, he was on the eve of something great when he left Congo, and then it's just really not. You know what I mean? Yeah, all three of the guys on the op- opposing side, like Inamura, Kitamiya, and Anaba, have all been like high stakes players at some point, and now it's kind of yeah, your second match against Funky Express. For mm. like eight minutes, it it's a bit concerning. Especially like you know, um, Inamura last year was like impressed everybody with that match where he tagged. Um, I can't remember who he was tagging with, but they were tagging up against Seguragon, and they were all loved him in it. And then like a year later, they kind of wasted that push. Really, but, oh well, what can you do? Can't have everything, I guess. But it's something to talk about. Let's just move on though. Um, two. Um, and I think actually this is probably the reason why Alejandro, Dante Leon, and Ninja Mac going up against Congo, High 69, Suji Kondo, and Tedeschi. Uh This went in eight minutes and eleven seconds with Congo showing their, um, you know, signature uh, teamwork. Uh, whilst Alejandro, Dante Leon, and Ninja Mac were four great singles wrestlers, who, three great singles wrestlers, who had a great singles kind of performance, but not in a strictly teamwork kind of way. And what I was saying is, within Amura, Kitamiri, and Anaba, is there's a lot more foreign talent now in the company, now that it's been opened up because of like, you know, COVID, whereas in Amura, Kitamiri, and Anaba were, you know, on a much slimmer roster 18 months ago, if you see what I mean. And now, you know, there's a lot more talent on this roster and everyone's got a piece of the pie, I suppose. There's a lot more shuffle to get lost in. Yes, exactly. Well said, sir. I mean, I said that I like Dante Leon and Ninja Mac and Alejandro. Just a bit, um, uh, well, no, nothing wrong with this. It was, it was a really great match. But like we were saying, there was, there's a lot more stuff going on even in the junior division than there was like 18 months ago. And the Noah juniors are renowned for being chaotic anyway. And you layer in foreign teams as well, and everything 
It's a bit difficult to follow at times. But this match. The best, yeah, the best thing about this is, though, is, like, you've just got, like, the three combustible elements taking on, like, the completely solid unit. It's like Ninja Mac and Dante Leon are two of the best acquisitions Noah could have ever made for their junior division because both of them are like super over in the States and now just fit perfectly in the sort of Noah style because they can like throw as much caution to the wind as they want and people will usually go along with it. (laughs) Plus you've just got Shuji Kondo who is barely a junior. He is a tank. I don't know how Shinji Kanjo gets away with being a junior heavyweight. Just a, it's just a fire hydrant. Shit house. It's like, oh. he's a fucking wrecking ball. And it's like, <sighs> you look at Alejandro and you go, yeah, junior. Very fast, very quick, very agile. And then you look at Shinji Kondo and you're like, that's a bulldozer. And then you see, oh shit, very quick, very agile, wrecking ball. Yes, he is. That's the thing. He doesn't. He doesn't have to move very fast, but he does. <laughs> uh, even a guy of his age and experience, to be honest. I could kill you slowly and powerfully, <laughs> but guess what? I'm going to kill you just as quickly and powerfully. Talisca, there was our commentary team on this particular match. We're pointing out Talisca has had a major improvement in the last twelve months. You know, his rock star persona is not getting better more than the way it used to because he's become much more of a team player. And I have to agree, this match kind of shows that development, doesn't it? Yeah, he was actually working with people and not kind of trying to show off as much. So, yeah, character development. Yeah, which is the way forward. This is, this is a good thing. Uh, college team, as usual, were Marky Mark Pickering and um, Stu Fulton, along with uh, the guest which was Paul Lazenby, who was the uh, first Canadian fighter in Pancras. And you were impressed with Mr. Lazenby, weren't you? I was curious, every time he chat, like, he wasn't there for every match, but every time you heard him, he was, like, really enthusiastic about stuff. And he, he had some really, like, funny and insightful things to say. So I was just kind of like, why were they never announced him once? I think they I, did, because I, I remember them. Carry on. I could have skipped over it. I have a habit of doing that when it gets to entrances and stuff. It's just like, right, junk. <laughs> so there you go. Mark, Stu, make sure you announce guest ring announcers' names, guest, sorry, commentators' names more often. There you go. I did actually have to DM Mark Pickering to find out who it was. He very kindly told me. <laughs> and he, uh, a five-hour show. Like, yeah. the, that's the, just as yeah, like, you need to skip an entrance. So this is five hours. <laughs> I mean, it's a great show. It's good five hours worth of wrestling. Don't go as wrong, but we're going to miss stuff because it's five and a half hours long. So, you know, especially as like, you know, Paul was an exceptionally good commentator, but we'd never heard of him. We'd never heard him before. We haven't heard him recently, put it that way. So, therefore, it's not like, you know, you can tell the difference when Gino Gambino is on commentary in New Japan when, to when he isn't. Um, because you know he's a he's a much more dominant figure, um, but Paul found a nice niche in this particular commentary team. So yes, he's good. Have him back. What? <laughs> uh, shall we move on, sir? Yeah, we got M three K. Indeed, we do. Uh, where are we? M three K Masayaki Machizuki, Machizuki Junior, and Susi Machizuki would be of your Dragon Gate. 
uh, going up against Atishi Kotije, El Hijo del Dr. Wagner Jr., uh, our favorite one which name, and Seki Yoshiaki, 10 minutes and 27 seconds. This is an interesting little affair because I'm not au fait with the N3K. However, you are. Would you like to explain, sir? Uh, yeah, it's a lot of Machizukis. And this was sort of <laughs> like a rare sort of Budokan match for Machizuki Jr. So there was a nice sort of family affair going on against a sort of team of heavy players in Noah. Because obviously you got Yoshioka, Wagner Jr., Wagner Jr., and Kotijer. <laughs> so yeah, it's a nice yeah. little high stakes match to in like give Mochizuki Jr. a big moment. Yes, a nice mix of Sigura Gun, Stinger, and regular Rami going up against an organized faction, which the the the, the, the Noah lot probably had a hard time, to be honest. <laughs> so there you go. Oh, no, it's not. It wasn't soon. It's not necessarily one of those matches you can say a lot about. It's, again, a chaotic Noah tag match. It's yeah, rather it, fun. It's, yeah, it's, it's if they want to bring in M3K to do something else, it sets them up nicely, doesn't it? Yeah, they've got a win on the board. They've got some big-name scalps there. And, yeah, they had a rather fun showing. Especially with, uh, you know, Dr. Wagner... Uh, El Hijo de Los Agma Jr. being the current national champion. That was quite the scalp to have, really. So, yes. Not that they pinned in. But, yeah, it's uh, well worth well worth watching. It's a good match. 6.24 from the cage match users, which I think was fair. Yeah. Shall we move on? Moving on. Uh, this, is a, this is a reference and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to Sugurigun, Kazuki Fujita, Kendo Kishin, Nasawa Rongai, and Hiro Hase. Yes, Hiro Hase. Going up against Kongo, Hajime Ohara, Katsuki Nakajima, Manubi Soya, and Matsukusi Funaki. 16 minutes and 36 seconds. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Hiroshi Hase, Hiroshi Hase is a government official, um, but he was, in his past life was one of the best tag teams ever, Hiroshi Hase Kintsuki Sasaki. Um, and he's the current governor of Ishikawa pre- Prefecture. He's a former Minister of Education. Uh, he was a former, mini- oh, sorry, minister, former Minister of Education, Culture, Sports, Science and Technology under Shinzo Abe, uh, member of the House of Representatives of the National Diet, um, and wrestled for New Japan Pro Wrestling, Old Japan Pro Wrestling, WCW, and was a former WCW International World Heavyweight Champion uh, once that was the NWA belt when they had the falling out with the NWA and a former uh, Olympian, which kind of makes you kind of feel like you've not really achieved much in life when you realize that. also the reason the Minter <laughs> scale exists. He is indeed. <laughs> and he because was it trained. was the great Muta versus Hiroshi Hase, where Muta <laughs> lost so much blood that they made a scale for it. Yes, um, trained by known humanitarians Ricky Chosu and Stu Hart. Anywho, um, yes, Hiroshi Hase, double R bastard and uh, governor of uh, Izuko Prefecture. Because why not? Because of course you want a governor wrestling on your show. Why wouldn't you want a governor wrestling on your show? You can still go. <laughs> I don't oh, think I, that's, yeah. a, that's ever going to be I, a question. Jesus. He, 
if you want any re if you want any reference, the only reference I can really give you is Hesse is kind of the equivalent of the Japanese Ricky Steamboat, in the sense of he's pretty much always been a face throughout his career, and he's kind of had that baby face fire about him throughout his career. Had one of the all-time great mullets of the early 1990s, I would also say that, and an astounding soup strainer of a moustache that uh, kept Scott Steiner distracted for a very good long time. If, if you want like references of his peak, then Sasaki and uh, Hase versus the Steiners in 92, one of the genre-defining tag team matches of the 90s. Um, and on the so the North Korea show, the World Wrestling Peace Festival show, with uh, where they had a rematch on that show, they had five or six matches in that time period, and they were the best two tag teams on earth by a long way at that particular point. Um, and they were just astounding. They just like changed the level of what wrestling and tag team could be. Um, but yeah, and there was um, there was uh, Nasai Rongai wearing his uh, crab monster mask. You know, a bit of a Michinoku Pro reference there, which was nice. Um, Kenda Kishin coming down in a, Mo in a Muta style mask. That was cool. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, uh, Sigura Gun having a bit of a laugh, which is not very often that they have a bit of a laugh because look who their boss is. <laughs> and they had, a, they had a bit of a laugh and then they also went on a killing spree. Because <laughs> this is not a soft match. Oh, it's not. Uh, no, it's a bunch of former New Japan and, and Japanese indie guys having a right crack at regular army people. We're going to go with the Noah guys in Congo. So yeah, this was funny. This was good, but it was it was well worth it. Yeah, and Hase still go. He was he was having some mat work against Kojima and uh, sorry um, Nakajima. Uh, doing some cool stuff. It was nice to see him. He looks so fit as well. I hope I look that good when I'm his age. I, I, I swear they want to build like a, a Hase Nakajima singles match just based on how much these two decked each other. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, remember that eight-man tag match at New Year's where I kicked your ass? What's that old man? Yeah, remember that? Let's do it again. But no extras. <laughs> Oh. It's good. It's good. It's well worth watching. Um, Congo being their usual kind of like relaxed self. This particular matchup. Page match rating of 5.32. I mean, yeah, it wasn't anything special, but it was at least fun. Yeah, I think that's a. I think this is the thing. Everything kind of got like, I'm looking at the cage match stuff and everything wasn't particularly great until the main event era. Like the, the 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 tail end of the show, and I can understand. And I'm guessing, like the down the card guys were to to tone things down a bit, but this is still fun. So you know, and it's like Hasse was, of course, of the Muta era, so it's highly relevant. I thought the the entire reason they brought him back was just to go, hey, look, it's the guy that made the Muta scale. <laughs> My dog agrees. Yes, there you go. I also do like Fujita and Kashin's um, matching gear, their matching red camo. Very nice. Like it a lot. Um, but if those two are going to become a regular team, then the tag team scene is fucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, just reminded, you just remind me of SAS Rogue, uh, Rogue Heroes. There's a line in that where the CO's dri they're driving into this base on Jeeps. 
and the RSM sat next to the captain. The captain goes, right, lads, I've had an idea. And the RSM goes, oh, God, we're fucked. (laughs) 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 Yeah, that was brilliant. I love that. Shall we move? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, the Rossi Ron guy tagging in and no one in Segurican wanting to tag out because <laughs> they didn't yeah. want to wrestle Finarchy. <laughs> that, that was funny. That was good. I like that. Also, they don't like Ron guy because he went off to, he went off and formed Paris Domal and now Paris Domal split up. He's the, the, that happy about him having him in Segurican. It's like, hey, have fun being the whipping boy until your retirement. <laughs> Quotation marks retirement. Is he going to retire? Really? He just did. He just likes the spotlight. Does it go wrong, guy? Shall we move on to the next match, sir? Yeah, the next one's interesting because I I have mixed feelings on it. I I was looking forward to it, and then I started watching it, and then I I, I lost interest very quickly, and I don't know why. Because I like love Jack Morris and I love Timothy Thatcher. I watch them two wrestle all day, but sometimes two rights don't make a right. I have a feeling Timothy Thatcher doesn't like Jack Morris. Hmm. Why not? Because he just didn't give him anything. It's like this. This is a match that it's is if you like Timothy Thatcher's style of grappling, you're going to enjoy it to a point. But yeah. so much of this match is just dead because something has gone wrong in the chain of communication and it just becomes this sort of stagnant like grind of a match that it shouldn't be because obviously everyone's high on Jack Morris and Timothy Thatcher is one of the greatest grapplers wrestling will see and yet neither of them can really make this work even having Hideki Suzuki on the sort of sideline shouting out like quips and lines and advice at times doesn't really breathe life into it it's it's weird yeah it's it's a serviceable match with no real spirit to it yeah it, it, it just feels like there's nothing wrong with either wrestler they're both great and I think, and usually we both say this, and, you know, styles make fights. And Jack Morris is not the kind of style of wrestler Timothy Thatcher is, so this should have been really good. But it just, it, it, feel, it felt like Thatcher was just kind of like grinding away forever for no apparent reason. If that makes sense. And then when, then when Morris comes back, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. It doesn't really, there's no, yeah. It's difficult to... It starts off promisingly. You've got yeah. Thatcher in his element, the sadistic smile, commentary picking up on the fact it's like, holy shit, did Timothy Thatcher just smile? What the fuck is this? Red alert, yeah, yeah. red alert. But then that's all it ever is. And then all of a sudden Jack Morris wins. And I was just like, wait, did I miss something? I had to actually rewind just to see what Morris won with again. Because I'm just like, wait, that, that was... Oh, it. I did that what? as well. Yeah, I did, yeah, I did that as well. Just, it's just odd. It's just an odd fight just doesn't quite yeah. don't know why but there you go again i can't pinpoint what's what goes wrong where it's just it starts entertaining like intently and then it's just a case of oh wait what we're, we're still in this we're still doing this oh yeah it's and it's still like, doing this 
that's just that's just sadistic and you know all the things you expect him to be and Jake Mar- Jack Morris is a very sympathetic babyface, and Timothy Thatcher can be a very effective heel, but it just doesn't seem to click with what they're doing, and I don't know why. And I'm, I struggle with this match for that reason. It's not that it's bad; it's perfectly fine. It just could be so much better. Would you agree? Yeah, I was genuinely surprised when this started to bomb because I was just yeah. like, oh. Hmm. Anywho, but after the match was the really interesting thing because former All Japan veteran Jake Lee came down to ringside in his ring gear and um, confronted Jack Morris after his victory. And um, yeah, there's a thing. Jake Lee is in out in Noah. Who'd have thunk I've it? never seen like an announcement get so little fanfare. Like. <laughs> I thought Jake Lee was really popular. Like I, I don't keep up with all Japan. Like I'm not lost in death match space most of the time. That allocate. I think I think he's. I think like, he's kind I miss of like some companies, and then I think he has a good following, and I think that that I think to be honest with you, because this match wasn't so exciting, that probably hurt his debut. If that made sense, because people weren't kind of expecting it. It's like, Seeing it on, like, seeing the reception on Twitter, it's like, oh, great, Jake Lee's in nowhere now. And it's like, huh. It just makes me think, I thought Jake Lee was really popular. I did too. Well, I mean, he did, I mean, we saw him on the Glate show a couple of weeks ago because he was a freelancer up until signing with nowhere and he wrestled the Glate. And he had a pretty popular response there. Glate aren't your mainstream wrestling fans, I grant you. It's a bit more of a core audience. But, you know, there was, they filled the hall, so he must have put some of them in there. You know, it's not like he's, he's an unknown, is it? So, and he's wearing the same gear he always wears. He, like, he's brought his character with him. Strange. But there you go. Shall we move on? Yeah, we've got something much faster. <laughs> yeah. Amaska. Um, Amakusa. How do you pronounce it? Amakusa. 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 I'll get it right. Uh, defeated Hunter Mikiawa in 15 minutes for the GHC Junior Heavyweight Champion. Makaska is the, sorry, Amakasa, Amakusa, I'll get it right. Amakusa is the current reigning champion. He took it off of Ninja back a couple of months ago. We didn't see that. It was one of the shows we missed. Um, so we really were coming in. He was, he was the former Congo guy, isn't he, who's come back for it as a different hey. character. It's originally how, but because how lost the loser leaves town match that, yeah. that no longer exists. Only Amakusa. Yeah, only Amakusa. He's been North Korea from existence. The Noah database. Um, but yeah, this was a fun, fun match. And Junta Mikau Miyawaki. I get it right in the end. I'm having real problems with pronunciation today. Junta Miyawaki had a really strong performance in this match. I believe it's his first challenge for the championship, and it showed up strong. This was one. This is where the sort of styles mix fight things kind of works because Amakusa mm. is a madman. Like the amount of like deadly dives he does, where he literally just throws himself through the ropes and decides to twist on like the sort of entry point. It's, he's like a torpedo. It's like you're like, oh yeah, the suicide dive's horrible. Imagine rotating. 90 degrees as you're doing a suicide dive and then you've got Amakusa like it's wild and Twitter can't leave that move alone and I'm 
bloody love it. And then you got Miyawaki, who's like nowhere near as quick, and it just works nicely. Yeah, That's it's right. good. It's a good show. It's a good match. Um, and it's got seven point one eight for the cage match users. So you know, kind of universal. Oh, wow, the grumpy bastards actually enjoyed something. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be mean to it's cage like, match people. As I was waiting, as I was waiting for the sort of for you to come on, I was just reading through some of the reviews people had wrote in the comments for this show, and it's hilarious because some of them are just like, "Oh, yeah, it's an average show, three out of ten. And it's like, "Well, that's not <laughs> an average score. <laughs> like five, three out of five. ten score, you get two matches that are great, and the rest is all dog shit." Like, uh, yeah, average show, show, score would actually be five, or the average of the scores that everyone has voted on, which is what's at the top of the page. And I can tell you that this show is an 8.05 show as the average, because that's the average of all the people who contributed to the poll. So the average show is actually 8.05. Yeah, it was just nice to see, like, Usually Noah brings in a new toy and then they kind of get discarded relatively quickly. Amakusa is still on the shelf for now. He is still getting to... No, I can't say that because it sounds so touchy. He's still, he's still on the shelf. Yeah, let's, let's go with that. He's still being played with, let's say. I was going to say, yeah, he's still getting his playtime, but that sounds so he did an, uh, did an, I did an awfully nice dive where he had to apologise to the commentator because he pushed the fence into the. You know, I thought he was going to land in Jushin Flyger's lap at one point. So yeah, it is. I think it is because he just does aerial manoeuvres in so like such a completely different way to anyone else. I think that's what the attraction is, isn't it? It's just like I'm not going to. I'm not going to flip like moonsault. I'm going to flip in the other way. I'm going to twist. You know, I like there's a lot of uh, fitness people who do like like um, bar press work by like spinning and catching instead of like doing the gymnastics way, and it feels like he's done a lot of that. It feels like that's the sort of direction Noah has taken the junior division, though, hasn't it? It's like mm. we want less of the traditional guys and we want all these crazy innovators because they've got Mac Leon and now Amakusa, and it's just like yeah, hell yeah, that's bring it. in. Bringing the new generation of flip guys. That's what we want. Well, I think as well, it's like they've got plenty of traditional wrestlers to fall back on. So, and you just had a long title reign from a very, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a good, like, well-rounded wrestler, but he, he's, he's solid. You know, he's not a, he is, he does aerial work, but he wasn't like, you know, completely flippy, was he? Oh, yeah, that's. Again, with all of them, I might call them the new generation flip guys, but Ninja Mac is incredibly technically gifted. Dante Leon yeah. is amazing at most things. Namakusa won with a bloody brawling pinfall combination. So, yeah, they're all technically gifted. But then the second you launch them into the air, it's like watching a fireworks show because they're all so explosive and random. I was thinking of Hayata. That's what I was I'm just struggling to remember his name. But I mean, like Hayata, though he is innovative, he's a fairly solid, you know, ground-based wrestler when he needed to be was quite well telling a story, you know, in a traditional kind of junior heavyweight way. So having someone to, like, Ninja Mac obviously was champion because he was, you know, in the match where Hayata got injured um, and uh, moving it on the title on to Amakusa. 
and Makusa um, means that you know you've got two wrestlers who are very innovative. So I think there's balance there. There's still they've got plenty of solid ground-based mat workers they can fall back on if they need to, can't they? If they want to make things change in direction, which is what they tend to do. So yeah, it's good. Shall we move on? So no, it's junior division. It's the tits. It's great. It is. It's chaotic. It's 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 madness. The, the stables come together and fall apart like you know a cheap watch. It's great. <laughs> oh, I love this next match. Do, 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 do. It will be for the GHC Tag Team Championship. Satoshi Kojima and Takashi Sugiura, the champion, successfully defend against Kenta and Naimichi Marafuji. 18 minutes and 40 seconds of arguably one of the best tag matches we've seen in a very long time. And let's be honest, it was some very, very secure veterans, shall we say. I think that's the phrase we're looking for. Yes, the odd couple marriage of Satoshi Kojima and Takeshi Sugiura continues to roll on. The reunited former marriage of Kenji Naimichi Marifuji, Maru Ken, is reunited. They could do this again, couldn't they? <laughs> what I find hilarious is Maru Ken now with like the modern day variants of both Marufuji and Kenta couldn't be a bigger odd couple because you've got Kenta in his bullet club emo phase and then you've got Naomichi Marufuji braving his way to the ring and it's just like it, it's like watching like high school cliques get together for some reason <laughs> Are you suggesting this is a set of middle-aged men pretending to be teenagers? No, I'm just sort of saying that that's the sort I mean, of thing I usually see this, this <laughs> style of sort of this culture clash come together and is usually like high school dramas where it's like the goth kid and the normie get together or something. And you've got Kenta so. in his bullet club like drama phase with his sort of intense music and then Marafuji in the like one of my favorite entrance musics of all time because like that energy is just unbelievably fun. And it, it, you just sort of watch them make separate entrances and it was like, yeah, there was no way you were mixing those two together for a tag team theme. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got Kojima and Sugiro who are an odd couple in a completely different way because uh, I'm not sure Sugiro totally trusts Kojima still. Even though they've been tag uh, team champions and like had major defences against super teams like Kenta and Marifuji. Well, they, you know, he did shake his hand at the end of this one, not just his finger. So that's good. See, that's that's the ruse. Kojima's going to get Sagira into a false sense of security after. He's playing the long con. And they'll make <laughs> like the 10th defense and that's it. They'll go for a, like a proper bro hug. And Kojima will just lariat him. And Sagira will have been right all along. I think Kojima's too old for that. I think he just wants to win matches, to be honest. <laughs> I don't think Kojima would do that anyway. He's too lovely. Yeah, he's too nice. He's so It'll lovely. just be like Sagira will be expecting a betrayal, and Kojima will have just baked him a loaf of bread. He's like your bread club now. He's <laughs> <laughs> oh, tried. Well, he's tried similar things. Um, he did pull like the, the, they had a press conference where Kojima suggested they both wear suits, and Sagira clearly was very uncomfortable. Wear suits and sunglasses and kind of do a reservoir dogs thing. Segura was like, Seen <laughs> <laughs> United like. Empire promos, that's cringe. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, yeah, 
yeah, it was all right. It was cool. But yeah, Kojima and Segura just like, Kojima's just a bit too in your face. It's like the opposite of like the comedy where like one cop's really in your face kind of person and the other one's kind of quiet, just wants a quiet life. It's kind of the opposite of that. Well, no, we're just a reduced version of that. Whereas Segura's reasonably in your face, but Kojima's just, just, just over, slightly overboard in your face. We've got Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Mild annoyance. Yeah, that's it. Basically, it's lethal weapon, except that um, Riggs is just just mildly annoying. <laughs> there you We've go. taken this match in a really weird direction. We have, you know, I mean, it's solid wrestling match. The thing is, it's like you, you can't argue with quality. Never mind the quality no, feel with. This was amazing. Like I oh, expected yeah. a kind of, I expected it to be good, but I didn't expect it to be this good. And like. You can tell Kenta is having fun here. He's in his oh, happy he, place. He is, because he knows three days later he has to march out and do the, the New Japan Rambo at the Tokyo Dome and he's nowhere near the title picture. <laughs> I'm sure. Like, oh, I'm going to have a good show here and, and that's going to be my effort for the year. It, it does feel like New Japan wastes a lot of people. Except, I, I mean, the same argument can be made of Noah. In a to a degree, based on what we were talking about earlier, but like if you look at if you look at Kojima and Kenta, two people that have had massive, massive spikes in New Japan. Kojima over the past couple of years, because like foreign talent couldn't make it in, so they made use of people that were still likable. And Kenta, who made his massive comeback, joined Bullet Club, had a nice string of matches, one of which I got to see live. And then, again, they've both kind of just dropped off the shell, like, off the face of the earth. Now here they are in nowhere, where they're being treated got, like a big deal. You've got shelves on the brain today. Elf on the shelf. God, no, don't get me away from that horrible Christmas drink. We're past Christmas <laughs> now. I don't want to hear Elf on the Shelf until December. You're much more into mentally unstable with a table. Yeah, sure. Anyway, it only... It's interesting to see how how different companies use different people and yeah. the fact that Kenta is just much better in a much better place when he's in Noah. And and it, it, it doesn't even feel well. like it's not necessarily for the novelty of it either. Kenta is like a Noah guy and yeah. when he's back in his old stomping grounds, he like history plays back into it. And it's like, oh yeah, we got Kenta back. Let's let's put him in a big match. Let him have his big moments, and yeah, everyone will be happy. Thing. And so, yeah, as I was gonna say, like Kojima is in the same kind of boat in the sense of he's kind of a break glass in case of emergency kind of wrestler. And this this run he's had in Noah has been one of the most productive years he's had in a very long time. And this is how you use a guest right. You know, this is like they've got Noah gone right. We've got this guy who's still got legs because he hasn't really had a top level run for what five years. I think last time him and Tenzan won in the, the tag team titles, what about four years ago was the last time he had any form of serious championship run. And even then, they were kind of worth they, they won the belts and dropped the belts, they were transitional champions, you know. Um, so it wasn't like it was a long extended run. So they use they use this guy who's like, um, got a lot of legs left in him it, it reminds me of like have you heard of the running back marcus allen who what? played for the raiders right this is marcus allen played for the 
the Raiders in the 80s, right? And mm-hmm. um, in the mid-80s, or the late to mid-80s, they also signed Bo Jackson, who was another great running back. And they kind of, Marcus said, well, you run as running back and I'll go as fullback. Because uh, it's like, you know, that he, he volunteered to do it, but it just was kind of like, as he was getting to the end of his contract, other teams were interested in him and he thought he'd never leave the Raiders. So, but he was like, well, I would like to go back to being a running back. And Kansas City said, well, you're, you know, you're 38 years old. You're nearly done. And he went, yeah, but I've been a fullback for the last four years looking after Bo. I can be a running back again and give you those four years. And that's essentially what's happened with Kojima. You know, he's given the, he's given this year to Noah, which is something New Japan could have had. They didn't need it. They've got loads of other people to do that with. But, you know, that, I think that's what this kind of boils down to. Kojima's given one of the best years of his career to Noah. Um, and it's worked out really well for them, for all parties involved, really. Outside of, like, a few people, I've not seen anyone complain about it because Kojima is just great at what he does. He's a very yeah. explosive, expressive, and just kind of person you always want to root for. He's, he's one, of the ba- one of the great natural baby faces in pro wrestling history. Right, that's a deadly laureate. Yeah, it does. Shall we move on to the next match? Yeah, this was a weird one. <laughs> Etta and Yoshinari Ogawa, your current GH, well, then your new GHC Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, beat KZ and Yoe in 19 minutes and 17 seconds. Um, you know, these guys are awesome. I love them as a tag team. They're great, but they are no longer tag team champions because they got beat by the Can They Coexist tag team of Yoshinari Ogawa and Aita, who hated each other two months ago and now barely tolerate each other. <laughs> they still hate each other it's just a case of worry we've got we can win gold here so you do your thing i'll do my thing and then once it's done we're out again until the next match <laughs> yeah styles uh, make fights like they do Ogawa is probably one of the greatest junior heavyweights of all time just because of how much of a bedrock he can be for anyone like, there's a reason he carried the junior division for, like, as many years as he did. Because the guy can work with anyone. Absolutely. I mean, he is absolute the glue, the glue wrestler's glue wrestler. He can base, he can lead, he can general. He's, the, he's everything you need in pro wrestling. He's awesome. I think the, the sad thing about this match, though. Mm-hmm. No Rob Zombie. Because it wasn't yeah. the Stinger theme. True. No, because Ata isn't in Stinger, so therefore, kind of like, kind of no. It's like, that's nearly always a guaranteed hit for me, because I see Yoshinari Ogawa, I'm like, right, I'm getting Rob Zombie. And it's like, oh, oh, I'm not getting Rob Zombie. But you did get, you did get Yohei Keizai's, um dancing. Yeah. Like, the team of Kizzy and your hair is incredible. Like, yeah. It's a shame I, I, never that... pronou- I never pronounce his name right. It's a very difficult How do you pronounce it? Kizzy. Oh, it's Kizzy, isn't it? I, I think it's Kizzy. It's either yes. Kizzy or Kizzy, but either way. 
<laughs> I didn't we would even like, really we'd like Noah Jr. Noah. heavyweights to have more vowels in their names. Carry on, sorry. I kind of forgot these guys were like the junior tag team champions, and then all of a sudden I'm going through this match, and I'm like, oh my god, this is going to be great, because Ata is going to have to try and stop all of this high flying. Because <laughs> it's just so fun. Like, I love Ata. I've always loved Ata. I know he's a bastard, but he's he's my favourite type of bastard. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. This was a lot of fun. It was, the way it you was finished fun. off this match was lethal. Yeah. <laughs> there was that sort of spinning knee into like a jaw-breaking thrust. It's brilliant. I always <laughs> love Yohei's dropkick. Yohei's um, dropkick, I keep telling you, I keep meaning to mention it, Yohei's dropkick is absolutely brilliant. I love it. Just the way he flips into it, like flips off of the opponent and then just lands on his chest. It's just amazing. Oh, it's a thing of beauty. There was a lot it of is. things of beauty in this match. Again, I don't necessarily think it it should have been ahead of the, the tag title match, but I get why the card was structured this way, because you couldn't have Amakusa and Miyawaki and then this match back to back because you'd be mm. having duplicates. Yeah. It was nicely paced, I think, this whole show, just generally. Yeah, this match had a lot to sort of live up to after the last match, and I think it, it managed it pretty damn well. And the sort of funny storyline we're going to see now is Ata and Ogawa try to put on tag team defences is going to be quite entertaining, because there's a high likelihood that midway through a match they'll just drag out trash cans and start twatting each other on the head with them instead of the reporting. <laughs> <laughs> Agawa won and stormed off angry at his win didn't bother to check on Ita and see if he was alright despite the fact Ita had taken a pasting in the majority of the match there you go, that was that uh, we'll move on to the nice win dickhead now I have to put on stuck <laughs> with you for even longer mm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on to um, our semi-main event which was for the Global Honor Crown Heavyweight Championship between the former champion Keno and the current champion Keita Kiyomiya. Keita Kiyomiya and Keno were both pissed that this was not the main event, as you can probably imagine. Um, uh, I decided to put on a show. and The show that they put on was quite spectacular. 9.1 from the cage match users. 4.5 from the Wrestling Observer. That will tell you how good this match was as far as other people's opinions. But this was breathtakingly good. Keno, when he's on fire, cannot have a bad match. Kiyomiya, when he's on fire, cannot have a bad match. The difference between these two matches is Kiyomiya has been telling the story of kind of not cruising, but just keeping the belt without the kind of wrestling classics that perhaps the belt is famous for. Um, you know, the Misawas, the Kobashis, the, those kind of championship matches. And Keno was determined to get what kind of heavyweight kind of brutality out of Kiyomiya. And Kiyomiya was quite happy to dish it back when he had chance. And the result of that was the best whole story I think we've seen in the Global Honor Crown Championship scene for quite some time. What's your thoughts on this one, John? This was this was brilliant. Like Kiyomiya needed a killer. And Keno was there, like, right, I'm gonna kill you then. And 
as you said, once these two got going, it was just all systems go. It's like, we're not the main event, but we'll make you think we're the main event. Mm. And yeah, they pretty much stole the show. This Keno, for all his grumpiness and anti-fun, always manages to put on some of the most fun matches ever because he is just brutal. He does not give a shit about anyone's well-being but victories. And it's it's in, it always brings out the best of everyone he's against because it's a case of, well, shit, I've got to try and survive this or I am 100% dead. I know it's a big spot in this. Falcon Arrow off the top rope to the apron. Not to the not to inside the ring, to the outside of the ring. Bounce off of your apron and land on the floor. Yeah, Topo Conhilo over the ring post from Kiyomiya through the gate. Twitter saw that I saw the clip of that Falcon Arrow on Twitter, and everyone was just going, "Nap, nah, fuck that." Ah, no, no. This um, <laughs> is just like, yeah, that they're, they're going hell for leather in this. It was a case of. We're very, very pissed off we're not the main event, so we are putting on a main event performance regardless. Fuck you, Muta. Yeah, this was this is how you try and steal the show. It really was. This was this was epic. This is so so great. Um it was interestingly, it was mentioned on the New Japan commentary at Wrestle Kingdom, because after this match, Keno and the rest of Congo went to Wrestle Kingdom to um stare down Lij, uh, which has kind of like been the theme of Wrestle Kingdom at Yokohama this year, which will be Los, uh, Los Ignorables de Japan versus Congo. Um, but as um, you know, as the, <laughs> Kevin Kelly said on commentary, Keno loses to Kiyomiya and cannot stay out of the spotlight, so he goes and picks a fight with Lij to keep himself in the spotlight. And that's absolutely right. That's what Keno does. He keeps the spotlight on Congo. There is no more success, more successful faction leader in Japanese wrestling than Keno, um, because they're always the story in Noah, and that's quite the feat to quite the feat to to manage, really. Also, a very interesting way they're going after Lij this time, because it's not a faction v faction tag match; it's like five singles matches. Yeah, they wanted to they wanted to like make sure that they that it was uh, up on the up and up, um, you know. Uh, Keno has been winding up NATO by saying that NATO is only turning up at certain events from, as, as a guest and shouldn't be pestered for uh, for autographs and pictures. Um, I'm sure that I'm sure by the end of the week NATO will go to a press conference and say, "Who's the blonde one again?" <laughs> I can't decide who wins between their match because it's like surely Keno gets this one, but at the same time it's NATO. I can see it just I can see it be death by roll up. I really can. Because that would annoy Keno so much. And Naito went through an entire New Japan called with roll up wins. Because everybody was expecting Destino, so you beat him with roll ups instead. <laughs> <laughs> and I could just imagine him putting him with a roll up just to keep the story going, just to annoy Keno even more. It's like he wins like that and then Keno just kicks the shit out of him in anger. It's like you yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so I suppose we should talk about this main event, really. I I really enjoyed this. Like, I really enjoyed this. And it's, it's not the best match on the show, the, uh, by any stretch. It's 
but it's the best match these two could have had. Yes. Um, one of my Twitter mutuals, I done millennial, as did say, as uh, as Muta walked down the aisle, not limping. Oh my God, the old bastard's going to die. <laughs> you know, and he's like, well, yeah, he's not limping. He's going to try. Oh dear God, what's this going to happen? And it, and to be fair, I've not seen Shinsuke Nakamura. No, I've not seen Shinsuke Nakamura wrestle since he wrestled Sami Zayn um, at NXT Takeover on that first Takeover event. Because I wanted to see how they present him, and after that, obviously WWE so I lost interest pretty quickly afterwards. So it's literally like eight years since I've seen Shinsuke Nakamura wrestle, and he hasn't lost a step, and that's really difficult. And this, you know, to do at this pace and this kind of audience who know their wrestling, and you know, it's imagine the pressure on him to deliver a match. They got paid an awful lot of money to go do it, and he wanted to go do it. Or, like, imagine the pressure on him to go and deliver this match against, you know, the great Japanese hero. You can't let him down because, you know, your friends and your colleagues will never let him go. <laughs> like, the, interesting, the interesting thing with Shinsuke is, like, he's never really sort of torn himself down. Like, he... He goes through periods where, like, he knows that WWE aren't really going to use him or aren't going to, where he has to sort of soften up a bit for, like, long stretches. But every time he's given the green light to just sort of be himself, he's always been himself. Like, there are examples of matches where Shinsuke has been the Shinsuke people remember. That yeah. Sami Zayn match era. Shinsuke. So I had high hopes that Nakamura was just going to be let off the leash and be himself fully here, and he was. Yeah, definitely. You know, funnily enough, Hiroshi Tanahashi, I was reading an interview with him, and he was hoping, really hoping, that they'd run Shinsuke Nakamura versus Brock Lesnar at some point because he wanted to see like the pure New Japan style against like Brock Lesnar again. He said because he. Tanahashi said that the, the only interesting matches he saw Brock Lesnar have were in Japan because everyone wrestled him differently. He said he'd love to see Nakamura versus Brock Lesnar if they'd allow that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> he said it hasn't happened yet. I'm really annoyed. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't think they could let it happen because Nakamura would show, expose every weakness Brock has. And Brock doesn't have that many. Yeah, so that's the thing, isn't it? It'd be really cool, though. But anyway, unfortunately not. Yeah, yes, we do have to mention the out from Nakamura. It was a bit of a classic um, black and red leather jumpsuit. Nice. In muta colours, obviously, to, to pay a tribute to uh, the boss. Um, but yeah, no, this was thrilling. Absolutely thrilling. I did get, like, you know, goosebumps as I watched this match. Muta's last singles match. Um, he did really try. He didn't phone it in. He tried his absolute... You know, he tried the absolute level best to bring all that he could of the Muta character and, you know, the mist, the whole nine yards. And it was kind of like sad for me in the sense of I've been watching Muta wrestle for literally 33 years. And the last time I saw him wrestle a singles match, um, you know, the first match I saw him wrestle was Ranger Ross um, when he was WCW World Television Champion. From a TV taping, it was the main event of a WCW Worldwide with Lance Russell and Bob Cardell on commentary. I've probably still got the VHS downstairs, to be honest with you. I watched the spots off that match because I loved Muta. 
and I followed him wherever he went for the next 30 years and now I've seen his career end and it's like it's a lot of memories matched up with my mum and my dad and watching wrestling on Saturday afternoons and you know like all of the videotapes we went hunting for and you know it's he's been a large part of my life and a lot of those wrestlers that were the heroes of my youth are they're finally going you know I, um Obviously, Justin Liger a couple of years ago. I've been watching Justin Liger even longer. I watched Justin Liger in 1986, and he's still commentating on this match. So, you know, I I literally watched like we discovered, we figured it out that I've been watching Justin Liger longer than Chelsea had been alive <laughs> when we did the, when we did the Liger review show. It's like well, Chelsea did it with me and said, "Wow, you've been watching Liger for two years longer than I've been alive." And it's like, yeah, and it's the same thing with Muta, you know. Uh, he's been a large part of my wrestling fandom, and I'm going to miss him, something chronic. So it was nice to see him dealt the best hand he could um, by the best wrestler for the job. And this match will will live on in my memory, as it should do, as a truly great match. There's always one thing I respect about Muta, and that is he always wrestles around his limitations. Like, near enough, every match he's done for Noah over the past couple of years, he, like, he's aware he's an old man with limited mobility. So he basically tailors each match to his opponent's strengths whilst also allowing him to get some of his sort of own styling. Like, if he, he knows for a fact he can't do certain moves, so he's like, right, this is going to be a submission match. This will be a hardcore match. This will be... We'll, we'll base... Every, he always wrestles smart. And then for this last sort of hurrah for Great Muta here, that kind of went out the window. and It was just a case of, I am the Great Muta. I am going to do everything the Great Muta does. And Shinsuke was like, fuck yeah. We're going to tear the house down. And I, I swear, this this match has one of the most creative finishes I've ever seen. And I wonder whose idea it was. Like I, every, yeah. every road leads me to think it's Shinsuke's. But at the same time, just knowing how Muta's mind works and how he always tries to get the best out of every match possible. It's like, oh, yeah, you're going to steal the poison mist and just blow it back in my face. And then knee me in the, like, Kinshasa me to hell bomb Miami out of existence and it's like that is incredible I don't think I've ever seen that before I don't think I'd have even thought about it in fact until I saw like the clip of it originally I was just like why has nobody ever done that before and if they have why have I never even thought of it they're carrying mist around the entire match you could just absorb it (laughs) (laughs) maybe I mean this is the point maybe Muta thought of it years ago and this was like saving it for the right moment because it yeah. feels fitting as well. And I think it would be even cooler if we now see like Shinsuke use mist in matches. <laughs> I think yeah. Maybe not, but I think, maybe not I think too it, often, but every now and then it's just like, oh yeah, he's taken it from the Great Muta. Yeah, but they've already had Asuka do it, so therefore it's kind of like and it becomes a bit too it's it's tricky, you know. It's the thing like, is with poison mist though, you you learn it. You never just do it. And now Shinsuke has technically learned it. I so suppose so, yes. Could, that... by, by the traditions of Mist, use it. Uh, yes, because Asuka learned it from Tajiri and Tajiri learned it from Muta. So, yes, I suppose. And Muta learned it. The great chain continues. Yes, Muta learned it from um, Kabuki. Um, 
And this match actually reminds me, that match that Muta and Kabuki had in the late 80s, early 90s that me and Daryl looked at, um, the layout's very similar. Because like you were saying, like he was trying to get the best out of Kabuki, who was at that point, he wasn't quite done, but he was at the end of his career. And it was a similar situation to this in the sense of like, you know, so I think the layout for this with the position swapped with Muta in Nakamura's position was really intriguing me. I keep thinking about those two matches. I have to, have to watch them back to back. But it was just like, yeah, this reminds me of that. There's kind of the level of intensity, the level of spots, because obviously you know, Kabuki versus Musa was a big deal. It was father versus son. You know, it was the Gary Hart's creations going up against each other. So there was, there was lots of things there. And it was amazing. It is like, as well, when you think about that and like the great Sonata, which was kind of like teenage riff on that, how that didn't work on numerous levels. Um, but I think it was down to the fact that, you know, I don't think Muta was using to that idea as perhaps <laughs> the impact wrestling writers were. Um, and it was kind of the hand was overplayed a little bit. Uh, whereas this, everything was perfect because Nakamura had his own story to tell. He didn't need the Muta legend to tell the story. He just needed to react to the Muta legend that was in front of him. One of my favourite moments in this match is Shinsuke going for great vibrations and Musa just devil staring at him the entire time. He's like, what the fuck is <laughs> Before grabbing his like ankle and just dragging and screwing him. And it's like... It's like Shinsuke has a fun and games moment and Musa's just like, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, because he don't do that in, YouTube, in WWE, does he? I mean, he does. It's just... There's just so much fun to be hard with this from like their reactions to each other to the action to just it's the ultimate match to send off great muta and it sucks that that's it for muta now but it ended in style (laughs) yeah i think that's it and that's that covered really um so then that's all finished with um Noah's New Year. Um, that's a huge to my guest right now. It would be Mr. John Dinsdale. I appreciate your time, sir. Hi, thanks for having me on and for Wait. you know watching Noah, something I enjoy. <laughs> Where can we find you on the internet, sir? You can find me at Twitter handle John Deathman. That is the gateway to hell that leads you to writings, ramblings, opinions, screenshots from weird matches. I find you can find me on Instagram at John underscore Deathman, which is the same but kind of a backup account in case Elon Musk injects Twitter into the sun, preferably taking himself along with it at this point. I feel like it'd be less of a drain. And you can find me on Patreon at Deathmatch Digest. That is my personal curated content of Deathmatch write-ups. Featuring both paid, like pay-per-view content and freebie stuff, including a free-to-read piece on Japanese backyard wrestling, which played out like a pseudo Friday the Thirteenth knockoff with wrestling, as a guy in a pumpkin mask tries to kill another guy with every sort of item under the sun, in a Japanese backlot. There it's you go. way more fun than it sounds. <laughs> just been, it's been announced today that Elon Musk has lost more money than any other human being in history. That's yeah, he's lost two hundred billion in net worth in a year. Wow. That's that's quite remarkable. 
just because go. he bought Twitter and then tried to inflate Twitter with Tesla stocks, which plummeted Tesla stocks where most of his net worth is actually kept. And it's a case of you've you've fucked one thing up, try to fix something, try to use something else to fix it, fuck that up too. And now you've just fucked yourself up. Like, it's hilarious to watch. And it's a shame because I used to actually respect Elon Musk before he ever opened his mouth. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for joining us today, and uh, we'll move on to the next part of the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Trippany Show. Joining me now to cover Glate version 5, yet another big show from Glate in the quite stunning, to be honest with you, uh, New Year's period, is Mr. Marcus Green, our Glate correspondent. How are you doing, sir? Doing good. We're back into it, y'all know. We are... Try to keep up with Glee as much as possible, and they, they kicked out the show with a hell of an outing with uh, Glee 4, and uh, we're back again, so it should be fun. Indeed we are. Yeah. Uh, Eddie on, uh, on Arena Osaka number two. That's not the one where they do the G1 and World Tag League. That's the other one. Of the three arenas in Osaka, <laughs> there's, there's the Osaka Joe Hall, which is across the street from Osaka Eddie on Arena, which is the same building as Adion Arena 2. Uh, equally, Tetsu NATO would get equally a rough reception in all three of them, I think. <laughs> and today has been a joy. Have you heard about the feud for uh, Noah versus New Japan, Marcus? I have to explain this to you because this is no, just... No, please do. Joyous. So at Wrestle Kingdom, um, Congo from Noah picked a fight with LIJ. Are you aware of the leader of Congo, Keno? No, sir. Imagine the most humorless man you could ever possibly imagine who finds nothing charming at all. Who takes everything so too far too seriously and has no sense of humor whatsoever. And then stick him in a food with Tetsuya Nato. God, he must hate him. <laughs> it's brilliant it's just brilliant it's the best thing New Japan have done in years Keno is just like I love Keno he's he's a serious hit he's an incredible worker um, and I strongly recommend you watch it when, when it comes up next Saturday um, and the whole of the Congo crew are, are the equals of LIJ when it comes to ring work and everything else um, they're going to have a five on five series of matches but it's just it's just like the most eagerly antagonized human being in the world against Tetsu Yunato, who just smiles wanely and asks him to sign his t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, this is gonna be brilliant. So today, Congo had a self-promoted event and LIJ turned up um, and asked them to sign t-shirts for them and started doing signings themselves. They had a signing session. <laughs> And there's Keno and the rest of Congo came to confront them. And Shingo just going, calm down, lads. It's all right. It'll be fine. It's just brilliant. Just sheer genius. Anywho, and this is taking a year because it all started at last year's Wrestle Kingdom in Yokohama. So, yeah, I'm hoping they do it every year from now on. Just, like, different yeah. ways. Different That's ways great. you can get Keno. Yeah, because Tetsu's so, like, laid back, chill, and, like... Like somebody like over serious and going against guys that show up fashionably late and fashionable. Like, <laughs> it's hilarious. 
I think I described it on Twitter earlier as the most humorless pedant in existence who's going up against their petulantly chilled out next door neighbour who hasn't mowed their lawn since last summer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just great. Keep, keep your boy Yano away from it all costs. I yeah, Yano's the made man. Yano's a made man in Noah because he's mates with Kasugi Sakuraba. So uh, all the Siguri gun get on well with him. Uh, <laughs> so he's he's all right. They they like him in Noah. He's fine. So yeah, he's good lads. They reckon he's all right. So it's all good. Anyway, let's get to the joy in hand, uh, which is Glate. And this was built around the fact that there was a G-Rex tile number one contendership battle royal, which featured Chekshimitani, Shima, Gringo Loco, Hartley Jackson, Hayota Tamura, Issei Onetskaya, Jack Cartwheel, Kazuma Sakamoto, making his comeback for quite some time, Kirti Sato, Minoru Tanaka, Quiet Storm, Septimo Dragon, Shigehiro Iri, Sono Watanabe, T-Hawk, Tetsuya Izuchi, and Yutani, and was won by Kato Ishida. 20 minutes and 40 seconds. Now, most battle royals are kind of, in Japan, are kind of fun entertainment affairs, and there was a fair bit of that in this, but there was a bit of dark purpose about it, wasn't there, Marcus? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, it's funny, because on the last show, I said they needed to, uh, you know, the Linderman and, and uh, Kaito had kind of um, a fight forever feel to it. And uh, this was the fastest way to get back from A to B, because essentially, you know, you lose a title shot, particularly in the way that they're doing it with the, you know, giving up the medals, you go to the back of the line. But this was like, this provided a thing where like everybody was in the back of the line. So, and this was also interesting for me because you the battle royals I watch are over the top rope. This had the pinning submission uh, scenario left into it. So, um, all that on top of the fact that obviously factions played very much a role into this. Yeah, so it was a. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun to watch, particularly if you've been keeping up with everything that's been going on. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I did, yes, as we should know, for those who are not familiar, Japanese battle royals usually feature pinfall submissions as well. Obviously, no DQ and no countout. We actually watched me and um, uh, John watched a, a world class Dallas battle royal from 1982, and they had pinfalls and submissions as well in their battle royal. So it's not an exclusive Japanese thing. I'm wondering if it's very regional, because obviously the Texas promotions were very linked with all Japan from back in from the Sharp Brothers back in the 1960s. And I'm wondering if they took their battle royal rules from them. But anywho, this features some big names, though, and um, some people that were ain't quite featured. Uh, Gringo Loco being one of them. He was more featured later on in the card. Um, there was a nice spot with Minoru Tanaka where everyone decided, yeah, we can't be doing with you, Minoru, and pinned him as soon as they possibly could get him in the ring. <laughs> that was hilarious. That that, and I think the way that they got rid of, was it Hartley? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was, that was fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, there was, there was some sense of, there was some interesting story stuff going on but the basic theory story of the whole particular battle royal was Ishida surviving and his ability to just hang on and survive all the way through this match uh, which kind of lined him up for the championship match and later on in the card have you got any more thoughts on this battle royal 
Yeah, no, but that that's like you said, that's a sticking point. Like a sheet of being able to last and, and hold on and whatnot. And uh like I said, it's uh, as close as he came the last time to almost taking the element down. Like you said, it, this is fast away from A to B without having to go back up the the ring. So yeah, it's uh it was really it was really fun. Like I said, you had the, the situations come in. I think you had two of uh, then Quiet Storm, so you had Boko Kester, a couple guys in there. Then you had, obviously, you know, um, Strong Horse was all up and through there. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. Very faction-based, but very much a very fun match as well. Um, but as with all of their big version shows, or you give back to the smaller numbers, version five, it was a mixed UWF and uh, Gleet show. So we had three UWF matches to work our way through um, on the more serious end of the card. So we'll start there. Um, the first one featured Masishi Mayari and Ryo Takagura going up against Takanori Ito and Yu Iska, normally seen trying to knock seven bells out of one another. <laughs> Masura Mayari and Takagura were from the Just Tap High promotion, which is owned and operated by the living legend. This is Takuichi Noku. He doesn't like it when we say that. Um, but yeah, what did you think of this watch? Because uh, Takura and Miyari aren't, you know, necessarily from a shoot style promotion. How do you think they played in this most individual of environments against two of the best shoot style wrestlers in late? They did what they could. Um... No, I think they did uh, better than expected. When, like you said, when you level it out like that. But um, I think it, I think it looked more competitive when it started with you, and then when Ito came in, it was like, okay, this is yeah, they, this is a different tier right now. It's a different tier, um, which which was interesting because I I think that the energy I was I want that I saw from Ito in this match, I wanted him to have on the last call, but I think the scales was a little bit more even over there. So um, I thought it was interesting. Like I said, when Ito came in, is when it kind of really revved up for me because obviously he started dictating a different pace. Um, but then it got to a point where I was like, "Hold up, now! Don't! <laughs> I hope y'all not finna blow a four-two lead around here, because that's that's the interesting thing with these matches. They can turn on a dime, which kind of ended up almost happening um, later on. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was it, it was it was cool to see. Like I said, Miyari and, and Takiyara not necessarily used to this thing, and then you and Ito very much so. Ito was very much in, in rare form in his bag and his mask. So it was, it was cool to see. It's always cool to see when, when he has that confidence on. He's kind of unstoppable. So. Yeah, and yeah. that's certainly a bit of a showcase for Iska as well towards the end of the match. Um, he took the win with uh, an armbar, I believe, but um, which is unusual because we haven't seen him win too many matches where he's been the the aggressor. And there's kind of a killer instinct about him in this match that I really enjoyed that we don't normally get to see out of him. Um, yeah, and I think it was what was mainly because Miari was a rookie. He had a chance to bully him. <laughs> yeah, which, was, which was interesting because I think, I think more so um, they they would dictate a different pace on the ground game early on, particularly with with uh, Iska. Um, 
which was uh, always interesting to see that that jockeying for position on the ground. But uh, yeah, like I said, once Ito got in there, we kind of changed gears, and then you was able to come in and, and take things away with the arm bar. So yeah. So next we move on to Yuru Suzuki. She defeated Maya Fukuda in a match that was set up on Glate version for Suzuki then taking a submission loss to Fukuda um, in the tag team match. Um, and this was a rematch of sorts that was set up from there, which is nice to see them kind of flowing things through in UWF, which they don't always do because it tends to be just like, here's these guys versus these guys. And, or in this case, these girls versus these girls, or ladies, I should say. Um, but this was an intriguing map battle. You've got Fukuda, the heads up striker, who has quite the submission game, but going up against Suzuki, who could just maul her, she was a bit more dominant than I think that Fukuda was used to, even though she's been pushing around some big women this year, or sorry, last year. Uh, this one was a bit different, wasn't it? Yeah, it was interesting. I was hoping because I, I, I had to go back and be sure, but I'm like, yes, they continue coming off of that last match because Suzuki was not done in that last match. She kind of wanted some more smoke, if you will, after the affair because I think she kind of got dropped. Um, and then when she came back to her senses, she was not, you know, she was not done. So the, the fact that they, you know, bought a one-on-one here, I thought was some good, like you said, some through line from the last show. And this was good. This was good. Um, like you said, Europe might have been a more uh, dominant one, but, you know, like Fukuda has been doing, man, she 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 gets one of those flash drops, you know, with those kicks. And then she, I, I call it the Fukuda, uh, Fukuda Flory. She kind of gets gets real amped up and starts hitting really fast, and then and gets another drop, which she did drop the year twice. But to year's credit, she quickly was like, "Okay, I'm I'm not winning this stand up right now," and quickly caught in a beautiful transition to a cross arm ball, which you know caught in the middle of the rain, can't get to the ropes. It was a wrap. Hate to see her lose, but I, I appreciated the competition. Yeah, I definitely think this is. These two are two of the better practitioners of this style of wrestling. And, you know, it becomes. If you've got two guys who are kind of evenly matched, sometimes it can become a little bit um, dull. Um, well, because these two have got such a mixed up stand up game mixed with mat wrestling, it, it really was probably the most exciting shoot style match we've seen for quite some time. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not knocking everyone on. Shoot style. I love shoot watching shoot style wrestling, but you have to be kind of into it. It's a bit, a bit like listening to jazz fusion. <laughs> if your brain isn't wired into it, you're not going to enjoy it. No, uh, yeah. So let's just move on to the third and main event of the UWF The Debt Show. Uh, Oji Shiabi and Sichi Ikimoto going up against Hideki Sakai, otherwise known as Shrek. And Ryo, in a way, um, and uh, Shiba and Ikimoto. This was uh, uh, Shiba comes from the. I'm trying to get to the, the the introduction so I can remember which which dojo they come from. Because <laughs> um, Shiba, if I remember correctly, is a member of Sixty Seconds. Um, Sikani, let's just look it up here. It might just be easier to look it up to be honest with you. Sakani is from, oh yeah, Old Japan, Rio Inoue is from Old Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, Sakani is from 
Ponce Volteria Dojo, um, an MMA. Um, uh, Shiba is a member of 60 Seconds, and Ikimoto is from Pancras, I believe. Can't remember, his name's just going to come up now, so I'll wait a second. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> I can never remember, obviously, can There you go, Mixed Martial Arts Studio style, that's where he's from. He has done some Pancras stuff in the past. This one was an intriguing matchup. What did you think of this one, Marcus? Yeah. Felt felt fairly more even, obviously. Um, you know what, what I think was uh, Igamoto and, and and obviously Shrek. Um, maybe it was uh, Shiva and Shrek, but obviously with um, him being a bigger guy, it's, you know, letting him get control on you on that ground very dangerous. Can't can't let that happen too much, you know, between that and just the sheer size of the guys could be hard. To kind of take him down anyway, so that jacking for position, like I said, it felt it felt more drawn out because you had to you had to had to do more, felt more even, and the filling out process was a little bit longer. But uh, I really dug the match. It felt it felt you know like these guys was like like more evenly matched on both sides. And I want to say was it? I think it was Igamoto that side that came up with the run correct. Yes, I believe it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I can see these guys doing it individually on both ends or, or, or them going back again with the tag, but it was, it was a, it was a, like I said, I feel, I feel like a fairly more even a fair that I appreciate it from uh, just a filling out perspective. Definitely. I think, I think, I think as well, it's, it was nice to see Shiva get a win. Because <laughs> he hasn't yeah. won a lot since we've been watching Glate. He's kind of been on the losing end of the 60 seconds kind of uh, uh, faction. So it was nice to see him get a win. And in a way, it's been interesting because All Japan have produced a lot of shoot fighters for this particular tournament, which isn't traditionally the All Japan style. Giant Baba hated it. Because <laughs> his idea was All Japan was supposed to be Americanized wrestling just amped up. Um, New Japan would do they're supposed to do that serious sporty stuff and we don't want to be like them so it's really interesting to see how like all Japan because we, we obviously saw some more at the Glade MMA show um, and we see in a way here it's just intriguing to me it's, it, it does make me smile yeah shall we move on we shall indeed so we can move on to the Glade show itself which Opened with Shima, Jack Cartwheel, Shiko Deluxe, and T-Hawk defeating Kiichi Sato, Michu Miyagi, uh, Septimo Dragon, Michiko Miyagi, I should say. Uh, Shikiko Deluxe was Shigehiro Iri in um, an intriguing outfit, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. Going up against Septimo Dragon and Sam Watanabe, 7 minutes and 23 seconds in this interesting mixed tag match. Yeah, like I said, you know, watching Glee for for you know for a while I have now. I never accuse him of not being uh, you know, not 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 bringing making things interesting when it comes to variety. Um, because I was I've been watching Hero this whole time, Eerie this whole time, and uh, when I saw this, I'm like, okay, that that like she could go deluxe. Okay, okay, that. 
It's kind of similar to, and then it looks like, and then I went back. I'm like, okay, we doing that. Okay. This is, uh, and also when you first see it, you're like, okay, that, that looks familiar. And then obviously, I, you know, cause this is my first time introduction to these alter egos, if you will. So I kind of got to chunk this up to the category of, okay, you got the, you got the pizza guy, you got the severely old man, and now there's this. So, uh, yeah, this was definitely intriguing for me. Um, fun match all around. Um, also, you had Miyagi thrown into the mix with Septimo Dragon. Um, and that's a, to me, that's a unique combination all itself. Carl Will is extremely impressive. Um, and Sato and, 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 and uh, obviously, T-Hulk. But, uh, yeah, it was just a fun affair all around. But, uh, obviously, um, even in the alter ego, he still dominates the match. Yeah, it's this was an interesting. It's just a fun match. I'm I'm glad that they moved away from Michiko Miyagi versus um, Tommy Akihama for the reasons we expressed last week. Oh. Um, so uh, thankfully that uh, wasn't happening, and they moved on to this match as well. Um, I'm wondering how much pressure they got about that, to be honest with you. But this was far more fun than that would have been. So. <laughs> um, yeah, this was good though. There was lots of like Septimo Dragon is really fun to watch, and they do they do get some cool cats on this particular show as far as like lucha style stuff. They've managed to scout some really interesting talents that you don't really see anywhere else in Japan. Oh, you do in certain places, but this is the most accessible place to see them. Yeah, um, and you know, yeah, it's uh, you had some cool stuff. Cartwheel and Septimo were going at it. That was good. Um, some Watanabe and uh, Jima having a go at one another as well. T-Hawk was in there. Yeah, it's just a fun opening match. It's the kind of thing we used to from Glade to kind of set the process going of having a fun night out, isn't it? No, oh, absolutely. And like I said, um, Deluxe versus Miyagi, that was... Uh, you just kind of sit back and enjoy all that that brings, you know? Much could be said of the next match. <laughs> Kaz Hayashi. Wrestle Luigi Primo, five minutes, 24 seconds of Kazayashi versus Luigi Primo. And that pretty much does what it says on the tin. Luigi Primo, the guy that makes pizzas. Yeah, it felt slightly more competitive, but if I'm being honest, I was lackadaisically watching it because in my mind, I'm like, okay, this this only needs to go one way and it certainly doesn't need to go long. So, yeah. <laughs> You're not keen, are you? Coming off it last week, I'm like, okay, this is not, it's not my thing at all. And I think, I think I want to say there was less pizza in this, well, less dough. Let's not go full pizza because <laughs> you're not making me anything when you've been tossing dough that long. Um, so yeah, yeah, Kazayashi rightfully won again. Uh, this don't need to be a fight forever scenario, so maybe they'll switch opponents on the next show, but uh, yeah, it's like you said, they got in there, they got out of there. You know, it didn't need to be, you know, it didn't need to go past the time it did, and, you know, we, we got the point. Well, I mean, hopefully Luigi has gone home by now. <laughs> <laughs> so, there we go. Moving on to something a little more serious. Yes. The aforementioned member of Los Ignorables Day upon having a weekend away from home turf would be Bushi, and he was wrestling the leader of 60 seconds, John Tomshow. 10 minutes and 58 seconds of a really good match. 
Bushy is awesome. Don't care what anyone says. I love the guy. And he doesn't really get a chance to have this kind of level of single match outside of Best of Super Juniors. He doesn't regularly have single matches through the year. He kind of saves it all for Best of Super Juniors and really has a go. And Toncho, I believe, was a former wrestle long guy. I'm just going to check before I make myself sound like an idiot. Yeah, because Toncho was... Um, well, he's he's out of the the Glate Dojo, um, but he's been wrestling since 2016. So, just make sure I get the right thing. He's been right. Yeah, he's a wrestle one wrestler, which means he was trained by the Great Muta essentially, and Bushi, a former All Japan wrestler, who was trained by the Great Muta. <laughs> so this was going to go well overall. Um, you know, Bushi went to New Japan on on the excursion and then never went back. It's <laughs> basically what happened. Um, and yeah, this is uh, this is really good. Just solid wrestlers from two solid wrestling. Sorry, solid wrestling from two solid wrestlers. A uh, lot of character work. Bushi just got to stretch his legs, and it, it wasn't a wrestling classic. I'd watch these two go again, and I think they'd have more to offer a second time around. No, I 100% agree with you. Look, not to knock the, the the two guys from the last match, but you could cut their match, take the time from their match, and add it to this match. Um, for me, like this, this was just good. Like you said, we don't get to see as much when we we you know notoriously praise Bushi on this show because we know what he can do. But again, when you are part of Lij, you know it's an all star cast. Um, so sometimes it's really hard to find that 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 spot, but he picks it well, um, or picks them well. Like you said, he kind of saves his, a lot of his swag for the Super Juniors in, in the solo fashion. But here, you know, um, and hopefully we get to see more of him here because I think him and Tonsho can uh, some really good dance partners. Tonsho was very aggressive coming out the gate, not letting the man get his shirt off, and then Bucci kind of went into his zone and kind of was able to, you know, set his pace. But then he got very competitive towards that end. Um, but but then we see, you know, Sabushi, you know, put it out in the end. So um, they could definitely run that back and, and, and maybe, you know, put a title in between these two. I think it'll be great. But yeah, they, they, these two, these two are some good dance partners, right? Here. Definitely. I mean, time show again, showing some aggression that he doesn't normally get to show. And this was just really, really good. You know, he's up against a veteran with a big reputation. So he's got to make his mark. And that's a brilliant story to tell. Ooh, shall we move on? Uh, right then, next matchup was Tetsuchi Izuchi and Tomiyaka Honma going up against Insei Onitskaya and Minoru Tanaka. So a bit of an odd, <laughs> strong hearts, <laughs> regular army, shoot style, lucha team. <laughs> yep. going, up, going up against uh, Tomiyaka Honma from New Japan Pro Wrestling of GBH and Tetsuya Izuchi. Um, yeah, just a bit interesting this one. Eh? Yeah, there was a, a, a interesting mix of um, you know vet uh, veteran young guy, veteran young guy. I by the time I got to the end of this match would have and, and uh, get your opinion on this, see if they could have flipped it and put both vets together versus both of the young guys. Um, mm. A match. Um, because it's, you know, like I said, it's just a very interesting combination because I, th- I think my favorite part of the match was the exchange between, I think it was, what, Hanma and uh, and Issei, 
with the with the try to have a yell off and almost like I'm not doing this with you, young man. Like I'm not I'm not, I'm not having no shout matches. I'm ahead, but you and we're gonna get moving. Um, it was very interesting, like you said. It was very you know unique combination to throw together. Uh, and it would, but uh, I think ultimately it just it, it turned out even more fun because of that. Because like you said, you had that. You know, the youth with the vet and seeing how that that was going to be mixed together, whether it was going to be good or not. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I'd, I'd actually like to see a flip for the next round and see if uh, the vets um, could have more, you know, solidify more tag team cohesion than, you know, the, the mix. Yeah, I think so as well. I mean, I was saying, you know, Tanaka and well, I don't I'm not sure if they would have wrestled at the same time because Honma was Honma was a deathmatch guy before he joined New Japan Pro Wrestling, and Tanaka, I think they probably their paths would have crossed in New Japan in the early 2000s, maybe. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's uh, an interesting. It would have been an interesting matchup, but I certainly think. You know, Onitskaya and Izuchi would have would have had a good one together. Izuchi was the another sixty seconds wrestler, so they those sixty seconds had a good outing on this card, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, which I always appreciate. Even like I said, even on a losing end of stuff, you could just, you always root for sixty seconds because it's always um, you, you never say those guys gave anything less than one hundred twenty percent, particularly led by you know like you said Jim Tonsho going against Bushi. Um, and even if they're on the losing end, man, you, you just know, like, they're not going to quit. They're probably going to want to run all their losses back to get the wins. And uh, it's just going to be satisfying when they do get the win. So, yeah. Yeah. They're the ultimate underdogs on this particular show. Let's move on to the summer main event, Black Generation International, Gringo Loco, Hartley Jackson, and Utani. Went up against Borko Orchestra, and Borko Orchestra uncharacteristically took them lightly. The end result of that was 10 minutes in, Black Generation take the win um, and some interesting developments after the match. But let's talk about the match first of all. It was a bit rough and ready, but it was kind of a fun story to sell. You know, Bulk Orchestra, as we have mentioned, have ran everybody over for the last 12 months. And suddenly there's another team in town that can run them over. So that was interesting to watch. Yeah, that look, they didn't even have uh you know, black generation didn't even necessarily have the ace uh with them. Uh but to me, like somebody like uh like I said earlier in the card, you had Cartwheel, um, who was very exciting to watch. And um Gringo, it feels like he's a different gear. Like the, you, you see him just aesthetic, you like, okay, he probably gonna have more of a a, a brute style like he fit in almost from a static perspective more with with bulk and then you see him it's like okay he's moving <laughs> he's moving like he's bushy or something um so the guys you know intriguing Harley jackson is just a mountain of a man and yutani um it is a is a whole different problem so i think like you said bulk is is and rightly so had a level of confidence because they've been steamrolling everybody for the last 12 months but that means you know, you kind of got to always come with that same energy, particularly when you going against people who are kind of stacking the deck on the other end of things, like like with Gringo Loco, with the Harley Jackson, Utani. So um, they definitely caught him. It was it was cool to see because now you know, kind of both gonna have to go back and we work some things. But we talked about it on a couple of last shows, like Black Generation International. 
it's very much seeming like they want to kind of come in and take over and, you know, kind of knock Bull Orchestra off their spot. So, you know, this is definitely going to be something we're seeing more of, considering the fact that we're kind of normally used to it being just Bull Orchestra versus Strong Horse all the time. Yeah, it's it's a nice change. It's a nice change of pace, and it's a good story to tell. And you know, all orchestra are a tight unit, and but then again, so a black generation, and that's that's kind of the story here. For those of you who have not seen Gringo Loco before, imagine a gentleman in his late thirties who is portly with cornrows in a psychedelic outfit that wrestles like Rey Mysterio Jr. That's so all I can release. I'm not wrong, am I? No. I'm so glad that that was the word. That was such a great word, porkly. That was, that was <laughs> I'm like, yeah, he's a, he's a little rotund, and you never know it because he's out here pulling off stuff like this dude will fit in perfectly in the past in Lucha Underground. Like, he'd be all over the place. So, oh, um, yeah. Yeah, so, he, you know, the guy works for, like I said, seeing guys like him and Caldwell do stuff effortlessly, um, like it's not like that. That beautiful, I think, with a C four off the top rope. Um, it's, it's just you know, like it's nothing. It's, it's next level. So yeah, you know, him by himself is a problem. And then you add him to Black Generation, and uh, like I said, they didn't have their ace. I was thinking about Flamita, um, who was also in the Black Generation. So they they you know to say those guys are formidable, um, is probably putting it lightly. Uh, specifically going against Boko Orchestra, but that's what makes the interaction so fun because you finally have a group of guys who can uh, test that metal. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, at the end of the match, there was a bit of a showdown as Czech Shimitani got pinned and Kazuma Sakamoto um, was defending his friend. And who should come down to um, even up the odds for Black Generation International? And Katoro Suzuki. Now, there was a bit of production execution here I was not happy with because Suzuki obviously didn't know where the hard count was. So it was actually difficult for me to figure out who it was because he faced away from the hard camera and then raised the hands of Black Generation to the audience and didn't really consider what was going on. Now, last time we saw Katoro Suzuki, he was in Noah and he was... Um, a part of El Paros del Mal de Japon, which we discussed last week, um, or which we discussed earlier on this show, broke up earlier this broke up late last year as the junior heavyweight division in Noah does its thing, which is chaos. <laughs> so they lost a match to Stinger and had to uh, dissolve. As a result of that, Suzuki, who is a free agent, he can wrestle for whoever he wants. He doesn't just wrestle for Noah. Um, has been free to moan, and he has clearly moved to Glate, and he has moved to Black Generation. This is not unusual for Katoru Suzuki. He has started his career in NOAA. He went to World Japan. He's gone back to NOAA. He's wrestled for independence. He's a generally genuine kind of like nomad of a wrestler, but he is a superb Lucha-style wrestler and a superb Japanese-style wrestler. He's about as well-rounded as it gets in the Japanese wrestling game. So he is an awesome addition to the Glate roster, but is specifically a very good addition to the uh, Black Generation roster. And interestingly, you've got Hartley Jackson and you've got uh, Kutoro Suzuki, who both work for Cyberfight, because um, Hartley Jackson works for DDT and Suzuki works with no one. Yeah, certainly an interesting addition. I'm glad you brought up that, that point about the, uh, 
playing to the hard cam because it, it was it's just not necessarily something you're used to because we've been watching this kind of stuff for so long that you think it's I think we almost kind of take it for granted. I think that's one thing that I, I guess I can say I appreciate, um, you know, watching AEW and watching somebody on the rise from like nothing like Jay Cargill because you kind of forget that when it's in situations like this, um, these guys are not just, you know, doing the exchange of moves and, and you know, just that athletic performance of it all. They're also doing a lot of other things mentally when you talk about the way that they do stuff, the angles in which they do stuff because they're playing like you said, to the hard cam. So it can be kind of easy to forget that as a, as I think, as a fan, because you're just so used to everybody being on the cues. But uh, yeah, you kind of got to, you kind of got to make sure that's straight because it can th- really throw the hard, the moment off, I should say. It throw the moment off, particularly if you, you know, making a debut or something. But uh, hopefully that gets fixed. The only thing worse than somebody like not playing to the camera is the, is the, the camera that's supposed to be there not getting the shot, which <laughs> I've recently seen on a uh, on a big show. So, yeah, uh, hopefully that doesn't happen again. But yeah, it was uh, interesting seeing that that particular addition too. Like you said, Black Generation every week it seemed like they just adding somebody else that's like like obscure. But then you see them together and it's like okay, they really stacking the deck. You know, it's like somebody they really sat down and watched the, the landscape of Cleveland. Like okay, who can we put together to kind of change the dynamic of these shows? So. Yeah, for sure. Suzuki is one of those wrestlers who can change the dynamic of a faction, which is what his job was in Paris Domalda Hapon. Um, an absolute veteran, former GHC tech, junior heavyweight tag team champion, I believe he's a former GHC junior heavyweight champion as well. I will check that. But yeah, he's he's a good signing for the company, and that's a great story to tell, like we said before. He just here's a guy that's going to come in, and all of a sudden the game changes. A guy that could win that championship for them. I'm just looking at this. There is a list of championships that is one that actually fills the page on his cage match. <laughs> He's current KOD six-man tag team champion with Tetsu Uendo and Yusei Okada as Burning. Open the Triangle Gate champion. Open the Triangle Gate champion with Eita Ignoswa, uh, GXC junior heavyweight champion four times. Tag team champion, junior heavyweight tag team champions five times with Atsushi Kotage's Stinger. And four times Roshiano Ogawa in Stinger, a GHC junior heavyweight champion, three times, uh, sorry, four times, zero one international junior heavyweight champion, wrestle one tag team champion and cruiserweight champion, AJPW world junior heavyweight champion. That's a championship pedigree. Gay or a TV champion, he's wrestled heavyweight as well. He's exactly the kind of Glate, kind of guy Glate can use um, to the utmost of their advantage. So we'll see how long. He stays around for but that leads us into the main event and the leader of black generation international keita ishida challenging for the g-rex championship which has been held by l lindemann for a very long period of time most of last year let's just check and see how uh how far how long he held it for he was g-rex champion for 320 days before he drops it here to ishida in Arguably the best match of his title reign. This was better than the last match they had at Blade um, 4, version 4. There was a feeling as he gets to the ring that this is a bit different. This isn't the full-on confident L. Lindemann that we've seen as of late. Um, and it tells as he has to tap out to the leg bar from Ishida, which is interesting for two straight up and down pro wrestlers 
rather than shoe, shoe fighters. This was a, an intriguing match that told a very different story to what we saw a month ago. But eventually, even the great Al Linderman had to bow down to Ishida. What's your take on this one, Marcus? Yeah, I mean, it, it was just great to see because it, it kind of, I mean, obviously, it kicked off the uh, top of the night. Obviously, Ishida won the, the Battle Royal and you know, Linderman came out there, you know, draped in the, the gold of his victims, if you will. Um, uh, uh, his, his fallen uh, foes. And like you said, that there was a, you know, potential thing, a lack of confidence, even though, you know, he was given off of, kind of reminded me of what he was trying to portray, like how Okada was leading up to that, that final big match with uh, Omega all them years ago. Um, but yeah, like you said, you know, somebody like Ashita, we talked about the last show. If there was anybody that had next up, it was him. And like you said, all good things, as the saying goes, come to an end. And now we got Ashita top of the thing. And the guy's just a different gear. You know, Linderman has done a phenomenal job of being, a, you know, a, a great champion. Um, now, necessarily, no, I go, obviously. You know, Linderman kind of keeps those medals because of those guys he's beaten. So, um, I guess you start a new thing coming up now for, for you know, Ishida. And then, as we've been talking about it, he is also conveniently leading this, this faction, a part of this faction. And, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're the new hotness, if you will, in, in Glee, and they they taking over. And it's not like it's all, you know, you got Harley Jackson. It's such an eclectic mix was such a dominant mix at the same time. So it's going to be interesting seeing if Lindemann is even able to get his strap back, um, if he has to kind of go and regroup, as we've seen with the likes of somebody like Okada, who, you know, forget being on top of the mountain, he was the mountain, you know, at one time. So this is this is going to be interesting. This is kind of like a new era to kick off the new year with Glee. So we're going to see how it's going to go. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting the timing, because like a year ago, Bulk Orchestra really just getting cooking uh, with their big angles and the hair versus hair match from last year. And, you know, and it's this is kind of like poor punctuation on it. Even at the end of this match, when the Gleet roster come out to commiserate with El Lindemann, Bulk Orchestra weren't their normal standoffish selves. They had their late tracksuits on and it was, thank you for helping this company establish itself. You know, they were it was like we're coming back into the fold to help with this bigger enemy. You know, the, there was a, a sense of unity within the regular Glate roster against Black Generation. And it's almost as if, well, Bulk Orchestra have kind of made themselves baby faces in the last year just by being the lovable oafs that they are. And now kind of is official. You can cheer from this allowed. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's so interesting because, you know, I feel like in a time and not the, the constantly, you know, make comparisons, but it's just something, you know, we've seen just so much more of, of you know, storylines and, and stuff of that nature over the years. Like, it kind of feels like um, what we're seeing from Black Generation is what, what, what BC was at their strongest. Because I feel like uh, in, in New Japan, like, you know, Bullet Club, I feel like this is kind of like the most lax of days because the group has been right now because everything's everybody's kind of scattered. It's a lot of question marks on what's going on, what's happening. 
feel like the only thing that's solidified right now is like Ace Bay, which is weird in terms of in terms of Bullet Club. But um, yeah, like they they kind of they kind of have that presence of being that that dominant faction that's come together. Um, and like I said, not such an eclectic mix. Not everybody's of the same elk of the same group from the same place, but they come together and they are forming something that is very dangerous. Because obviously you got the top strap. I would imagine there's tag team, you know, implications coming down the line and just more more stuff. So now you got orchestra, you got strongholds, you got 60 seconds, and now you got these guys. And uh, as as we know, having having a faction based uh, roster, if you will, can create some very interesting combinations as we've gotten used to a lot, for a long time with New Japan, but. It's just a different vibe with Lee, again because of the the roster and what they do with their roster, not necessarily over exerting themselves in terms of quantity. So it's uh like I said, it it, it felt great. This was always gonna be a good match. Didn't necessarily think they could top it, but they did, like you said, coming off of four. But uh yeah, I think I think these dudes will be doing this for a long time, those two in particular. So yeah, we got stuff to look forward to. Oh yes. Oh, yes. yes. It's um, it's a, a strong roster, and you, you know, I was I obviously like absolutely right. I mean, if you look at that point, like strong hearts are a Japanese lucha outfit, sixty seconds are a King's Road outfit. Really, they they fly a bit, but they're all former students of, of great Muta and either All Japan or, or Wrestle One. And then you've got Bulk Orchestra, who are all big lads and big lads wrestling, and they all have style specific things and then you've got black generation who are just you've got us you've got a flyer you've got a shooter you've got a, a big man you've got a all-rounder you've got an ace and that's kind of like like you said the best factions are the ones that have that mix of talent like bullet club had with Devitt and the books and and machine gun carl anderson and, you know, and bad luck Farley and tamatonga at the beginning that was a faction, you know, that was a mix of everybody who could do everything. And that's what made that's what made Bullet Club interesting from a point of view. They weren't all the same thing, doing the same thing the same way, the way Chaos was, or the way GBH was. They were, you know, a different kind of level. And this is this is what's making the stories in Glate great, if you will. Um, now, Glate have not resolved, not as far as I know, announced another card. I'm just going to check to see if they have announced anything else. I think they have got one coming up. Um, it's been announced, but I can't find a, a, a card rundown for it. I'll have a look online. But what are you looking forward to for the rest of this year from Glate, Marcus? Just more, like, like we always say, the more consistency, more, you know, kind of bringing guys in here and there. Like you said, I mean, we last year we saw... Um, Suzuki, for God's sake, now we're seeing Bushi and others. We got, you know, had Sonata and, and, and you know, and the last show. So, you know, keeping that, that collaborative efforts going, particularly with some officers with New Japan, but others as well. Um, adding some some needed some needed additions, but not necessarily flooding everything. Because, uh, I, I, like I said, just with those factions we just listed off alone. <laughs> It's real strong. All they got to do is just, just you know, mix the combination of stuff, some of these feuds, keep the UWF stuff going, obviously, to, to keep it, you know, varied and uh, 
Yeah, did you see like an ad that they put up for like something, some type of new sense or something that they're doing? Yeah, there's the Wise Ed Gener- there's the Wise Ed Generation show. So they have a show on the 18th, they've got a show on the 12th of February, 15th of February, and 23rd of February, and then they have a next big crossover event be lit at UWF on the 7th of March. The next big one that's been announced is YZ Generation, um, which has Chek Shimitani versus John Toncho, Yuiska versus Oji Shiba. The young guys versus young guys. That was actually the match he was talking about, except they haven't got the tag team partners. They're wrestling each other instead. Is on this guy a strong heart? So it gets you tiny, a black generation. Um, uh, Izuchi and Tana, and um, I have to zoom in here to see what I'm doing. I can't zoom in on this computer, won't let me. Um, but you've got Michiko Miyagi versus. Um, to Kyoko Inoue, the legendary Joshi wrestler from the 1990s, which would be really interesting, because Miyagi won't be able to boss her around. Uh, Bulk Orchestra versus um, Hartley Jackson, Ishida, and uh, Katara Suzuki making his debut. Um, and you've got the origin match, which is Shima T-Hawk and Lindemann versus Kazayashi, Ito, and so what are The origin of... Um, Great, you know, the, the different factions and the big names from all of those factions. So, this should be a really interesting match and should be a really interesting card. Yeah, great. And that's on the 18th. So, let's start. That's on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Things are coming thick and fast. We might have to record, we might have to review that next week if it's just available on YouTube. This is, of course, all freely available on YouTube. They give it to us for free. We had to wait a couple of days for this one. But yeah, it's free. There you go. They can't yeah. complain with that. Free wrestling. So yeah. Yeah. Um, have you anything else to say for us, Marcus? Uh, no, man. Just, you know, as we always say, we, we you know, we're doing the show for a reason. Uh, you know, it's, it's been a great alternative. Obviously, we've not stopped uh, covering New Japan. Uh, Always covered that, but Glee has been a beautiful uh, alternative, and, and they're, they're just continuing to grow. And uh, look forward to seeing it. And hopefully, if somebody's tuning in, listening to us for the first time, uh, you know, check it out, give it a shot. You know, even if you, you know, hopefully you you can kind of put aside the fact that it's not um, English commentary uh, yet, <laughs> what have you. It, it, you don't necessarily need it. You know, it's just. You know, get used to the guys. It's not like everybody on the show looks the same. Like I said, Gleet has a lot of variety. Um, it's nice to see them doing these, you know, you know, more different halls and whatnot and, and getting in these different spots. And, uh, yeah, you, just some you can just easily sit back and enjoy quality wrestling. So check it out. Like Jane said, it's free. You know, so. There you go. Yeah. Oh. Right then, thank you very much for listening to the Troopany show today. My name's James Troopany. You can find me at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter. You can find us at Sheriff Lone Star TX on uh, Instagram. Oh, that's not very wrestlingly orientated. <laughs> you can find me um, on um, 
Facebook. Uh, well, you can't find me on Facebook. You can find the show on Facebook, The Troopany Show. You can find The Troopany Show on Twitter, Troopany Show. And on Patreon, we're going to keep The Troopany Show free forever for everyone. We're also on Instagram and uh, Discord as well. That's on The Troopany Show podcast. Where can we find you on the internet, Marcus? Yes, sir. Always a pleasure doing this with you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, a lot of my only social media. Um, while it while it still lasts, we see, you know, um, at Paradox Kid, that's P-A-R-A-D-O-X-K-I-D, always down in chat. I mean, he lost 200 billion this year. Hopefully he might lose some more money and have to sell it. Yeah. <laughs> to someone yeah. less horrible. There we go. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll, we might be looking at Glate again. We're not really sure. We've got to do year-end awards at some point. Um, uh, we we strongly kind of uh, give you um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Give you a direction to go check out Voices of Wrestling end of year awards because we all got to vote in that this year. We was yeah. invited, which was really nice of them. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, um, if you when it finally finally comes out, we got to vote on the match of the year of all of the Troopney Show um, uh, advisors. That, sorry, the Troopney Show advisors, all the Troopney Show contributors did. Um, I'm, I'm sure John dug out some weird death matches from Barnsley uh, <laughs> <laughs> on a cold Tuesday in Barnsley in a nightclub. Um, but yeah, um, so yeah, so you've got that to look forward to as well. Take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye.